The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Wednesday, December 2nd, and the time is 4.12. And on behalf of the EOT team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Mirtha Donastorg. We're bringing you Eye on the Triangle at a new time on a new day. This is the, ter- the third show on Wednesday afternoon. For all of you listening in for the first time... Eye on the Triangle is WKNC's weekly public affairs programming with news, interviews, opinion, weather, sports, arts, music, events, and issues that matter to NC State, Raleigh, and the Triangle. This week, Nick Weaver brings you the Modest Mouth Review. He reviews the album Peripheral Vision by Turnover. And Jake Winters brings you Snow Rated. This week, he reviews the film In Bruges, named after a beautiful city in Belgium. And as always, Saif Hassan has the news beyond the headlines. But first, a look at today's breaking news. There's an active shooter situation in our inland from Los Angeles in San Bernardino. According to the San Bernardino County Sheriff, there are multiple victims and between one to three suspected shooters. The shooting happened approximately two hours ago at the Inland Regional Center. They help people with developmental disabilities. Local law enforcement is on the ground as well as a SWAT team. A little closer to home, This morning at UNC, police investigated a call about an armed person entering the Naval ROTC building. Police cleared out the building and surrounding area, and the campus was put on lockdown. After 30 minutes of searching, no armed person was found. Authorities later issued an all-clear and say that there is no apparent threat to campus. Yesterday, Governor Pat McCrory announced that he was running for re-election. He first announced in a video sent out over social media. Today, he announced again at an event in Kernersville, near Greensboro, near Winston-Salem, rather. This was his first public event of the 2016 campaign. It is expected that McCrory will face current North Carolina Attorney General Roy Cooper in the general election. I'm Saif Hassan, and this is your News Beyond the Headlines. Russia's defense ministry has accused the family of Turkish President yeah. Erdogan of being directly involved in the trade of petroleum with the Islamic State group. Deputy of Defense Minister Anatoly Antonov said Turkey was the biggest buyer of stolen oil from Syria and Iraq. Mr. Erdogan said Russia had no right to slander Turkey with such claims. Russia and Turkey have been locked in an angry dispute since Turkey shot down a Russian jet last month. Russian President Vladimir Putin had already accused Ankara of downing the plane on its Syrian border to protect oil supply lines. According to available information, the highest level of the political leadership of the country, President Erdogan and his family, are involved in this criminal business, Mr. Antonov told journalists in Moscow. The Russian Defense Ministry does not usually invite foreign journalists to its media briefings on Syria, but on Wednesday it made an exception. It had a message it wanted the whole world to hear, that the faces of Turkey's leaders, including President Erdogan, were smeared with stolen oil. Invited guests were shown satellite images and grainy video footage purporting to show tanker trucks with oil crossing from ISIS-held territory into Turkey. After the shooting down of the Russian bomber by Turkey last week, the war of words continues between Moscow and Ankara. Listening to the military officials at this briefing, you could hear the anger in their voices. Their strong language reflects their president's conviction that Turkey has stabbed Russia in the back. 
The defense ministry cited satellite images that it said showed oil tankers traveling from ISIS-held territory to Turkey. The trucks, it said, traveled to three locations, including refineries in Turkey, and some then moved on to a third country. Russia said it was producing only part of the evidence for now and did not provide direct proof of their claim that Mr. Erdogan and his family were involved. Responding to the Russian allegations, the Turkish president said no one has a right to engage in slander against Turkey by saying that Turkey is buying oil from Daesh, ISIS. He repeated a promise to resign if these claims were proven true. U.S. officials have previously said they have information suggesting Turkish middlemen were involved in the illegal ISIS oil trade. The Turkish authorities have made commitments to tackle smuggling on their own territory. Despite the tensions, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said he is prepared to meet with the Turkish Prime Minister at a conference in the Serbian capital Belgrade this week. It would be the first time the men have met since the downing of the jet. Fresh rains in the southern Indian city of Chennai have caused serious flooding, with flights and trains suspended and hundreds of people without power. The army has been deployed to rescue thousands of stranded people after two days of heavy rain. At least 188 people are now known to have died in floods in the Tamil Nadu state since last month. A depression in the Bay of Bengal has triggered rains in coastal areas. Last month, non-stop rain for nearly a week brought the city to a standstill. Two days of fresh rains have again led to massive flooding, so much so that flights from the city's airport have been indefinitely suspended after floodwaters entered the runway and tarmac areas on Tuesday evening. Reports say some 400 passengers are stranded at the airport and all flights have been cancelled. More than a dozen trains have also been cancelled after floodwaters inundated the tracks. The Army and the National Disaster Response Force have been deployed in the city's worst affected southern suburbs to rescue people stranded in their flooded properties. At least 10,000 policemen and swimmers have also been deployed in the rescue effort, according to Chennai Police Chief J.K. Tripathi. Reports say that power supply has been suspended in nearly 60% of the city's neighborhoods. Most of the main streets are waterlogged and schools were closed for the 17th time since the beginning of November. Schools and colleges have been shut in six districts due to the rain. Patients have been evacuated from a government hospital in the Tambaram area after floodwaters entered the building. Residents have taken to social media to offer accommodation, food, and mobile phone recharges to citizens who are forced to evacuate their property. All the reservoirs around Chennai are full and the rivers are flooded with the excess waters released from the reservoirs. Thousands of people who are living on the banks of these rivers have been moved to temporary shelters. The meteorological office says scattered to heavy rains are expected to continue for the next three days. India suffers severe flooding every year during the annual monsoon rains from June to September. I'm Saif Hassan, and this is your News Beyond the Headlines. Hello, this is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. This is Snowverated, and this week I will be taking a look at In Bruges. In Bruges is a British film from 2008 about two hitmen on vacation after completing their assignment with only a slight error. The film is drab at first. Two men on vacation in a boring city, and obviously it is supposed to be somewhat boring without losing interest to the audience. But I still felt that it could have been slightly more exciting, deviating at least slightly from the sex, love, and drugs that is always used to make a movie or character seem dangerous. Honestly though, it still really fits the characters and the setting. The character is depressed, and these somewhat unoriginal adventures take his mind off his troubles. But really, I always look for some kind of originality in a film. But, you know, what works, works, and art will always imitate life, so I can't really be too upset. 
One thing I really liked that the storyline did was to create that boss that you only ever hear of a telephone like some all-powerful mastermind, and then they end up bringing him directly into the story. I thought this was a great way to create a powerful figure, using what other films have done before to create an unknown place where direction comes from, similar to when there are boardrooms full of black silhouettes, and then making that character a human. You see that he is a man with a code, and he is willing to go to any length to preserve that code. Being able to see the character behind the plan, with his own struggle and his own opinion, was very interesting. And speaking of characters, that is definitely the strong point of In Bruges. The characters are all believable. Any one character that is in the film for more than a minute or two has depth and meaning to them. Some may be static and unchanging, but they are believable and full in their own right. The developing characters are done extremely well. The main character is shown dealing with his grief, and his friend is shown dealing with his loyalty to others and to his beliefs. There is a power struggle, a desperate romance, a falling out of friends, and a betrayal all wrapped into one film. You could say it is a little overdramatic at times, but I'd say it is just right for the tragedy style. This type of film is supposed to be over the top. But, saying that it is over top for a drama, I do not want to send the impression that it is completely unrealistic. It could happen, which is what makes it great. In Bruges doesn't put its characters into impossible situations, just very unlikely or unusual situations. Just like any other famous tragedy, it is quite possible, but as for how likely it would be for something like that to happen, the chances are low. The filming of the movie had a very enjoyable style to it. One scene in particular used a blurred background to draw the watcher's eye to the speaker and it worked very well. His face being clear and the background being completely undiscernible, other than already knowing what it looked like, drove it the attention and intensity of the scene to another level. The final shot, which I will not go into too much detail of, was fantastic. It creates the tension needed and uses colors, just like the rest of the movie, very well. Some would categorize this film as a black comedy, and I understand that, but I feel that that is cutting the film short of what it really is. It is more of a tragedy to me than anything, and a very good tragedy at that, one with death and true expression of grief and pain. It's easy to see where it got the title of black comedy from, with the dialogue of the two main characters always dark and the adventures they go on always being tinted in some way. One scene in particular is absurd and also hilarious. The main character is partying with a midget and they have some very interesting conversation to say the least. Truly though, this film is a tragedy with comedy just being how the characters act and speak to each other. That might seem like that's the whole entire film, but the plot really is a tragedy. I enjoyed In Bruges. It has a style of drama and tragedy, and it reminds me of Romeo and Juliet and being the tragedy, and Fargo and its dark, dry humor. That is to compare it to greats, though. This movie can definitely stand on its own, and it does very well. It has its own style and feeling to it, and I felt it could have been a little more adventurous in where it took the story, but what it did was better than adequate. In Bruges is one of the better modern tragedies out there. It reels you in, and it is both captivating and brutal. You can watch this movie on Netflix or rent it for $2.99 on Amazon. Thank you for tuning into this week's movie review. Feel free to send any suggestions or comments to the email address publicaffairs at wknc.org. I'm always glad to hear feedback or opinions. Thank you for tuning into Snow Verated. This is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. Have a good night.
and welcome once again to the Modest Mouth Review with me, Nick Weaver of Isle on the Triangle. Oh, that was really peppy. Uh, unfortunately peppy. Anyways, today I'll be taking a look at the album Peripheral Vision by Turnover. This was another recommendation on behalf of a friend, so I decided to give it a go. If you think that sounds unenthusiastic, then you're about half right. At this point, I'm kind of biding my time until the new Cage the Elephant album comes out. No disrespect to everything else, but it all just kind of gets blocked out by my hype for this new album that I didn't even know was going to be a thing until just recently. Until it comes out, however, I'm giving this a shot and trying to be as fair as possible to everything else in my path. Hopefully I'll end up with some more albums to put in my path soon as well, seeing as this one came out all the way back in May. Uh. Anyways, the album is Peripheral Vision by Turnover. Yet another band I had not previously acquainted myself with. So, just a brief description of Turnover and Peripheral Vision. Turnover appears to have been around since 2009, having signed with independent record label Run For Cover. Prior to this album, they've had three EPs and one LP, 2013's Magnolia. From what I can tell, their genre is a pretty solid indie rock, though Wikipedia describes this album as being in the genre of dream pop. Now, I don't know what the hell that is, but that sounds ridiculous and I love it, so indie rock dream pop it is. As for the album Peripheral Vision itself, it was released May 4th, 2015. That's all you really need to know as far as I can tell. Which brings us to the album itself. So, how is it? Well, to start off, Dream Pop actually sounds like a pretty good way to describe the sound. The guitar work is entirely clean. There's only a very slight tinge of distortion on the rhythm guitar during certain songs. It doesn't seem like there's any real heavy distortion or overdrive at all. What there is, is a whole lot of echo, delay, and reverb. The vocals are especially heavy on reverb and seem to be tracked with a chorus effect. It all comes off as very floaty and serene. It's peaceful and light, but at the same time not slow or boring. The beat is steady and driving for most songs, with the only exception being during the breakdowns, which are notably well orchestrated. I particularly enjoy how ethereal the whole thing comes off as- Oh! Oh, that's it! That right there is the word I need to truly describe this sound. Ethereal. It's like the band is playing a venue in the clouds at sundown, but the light doesn't decay, it just changes hues according to the song. There's a strong energy that radiates from the vocals and the percussion doesn't allow the night to come. It's impressive and I gotta give it props. Back to the guitar work, there's some pretty awesome layering going on here. There's no real sense of background or foreground with the guitar work, much similar to real estate. However, Turnover manages to differentiate themselves in that instead of the guitar blurring together into one boring mass, the lead, rhythm, and bass guitar are all easily heard and pieced apart from each other. The lead is completely clean for most songs, running up and down the strings in a rhythmic, hypnotic pattern. The rhythm guitar is mostly clean with slight distortion on some songs. The bass is barely audible, at least to me, but when it is heard, it blends perfectly. Oh, there it is! Blends! That's another great word to describe their sound. Everything blends together really, really well, but at the same time, it keeps from washing together pointlessly. Ugh, oh, how do I describe this? Um, okay. So, imagine you have, like, three big freaking bowls of glitter or something. Each one is a different color, and they're that really fancy type of glitter, the kind that makes you go, Oh, wow, dude, look at that, it's so beautiful, it's chaotic, but it brings order to my life in a meaningful way or something. So, it's super pretty glitter. Now imagine that each of those glitter bowls represents one of the guitar parts, or just different instrumentation in the song. Now imagine that you straight up dumped all of that glitter randomly in the sink, one on top of the other, and maybe just sort of moved it around with your little finger. That was Real Estate's album, all blurry, boring, and washed together with only a little intentional differentiation. Now imagine you took that glitter, right? 
He took that glitter and poured each bowl gently into a special pattern in a glass bowl of water. Then you look at it from the side. If this metaphor isn't doing anything for you, by the way, feel free to go home and actually try this. You look at it from the side, and each different glitter dump is forming tendrils down to the bottom of the glass bowl and slowly worming around each other. You can still see it clearly, but now it's super cool looking and you think you might be high. That's this album. Or at least the guitar work, though I will say the production value is phenomenal and there's some excellent ambient instrumentation and synth work going on too. So I guess add two more fancy glitter colors if you will. Now with that in mind, this is where it gets a little a little negative, now with that in mind, realize that what I just described is essentially kindergarten arts and crafts, albeit of a really high quality that would make you proud of whatever kindergartner actually pulled it off. So I guess, like, third grade arts and crafts. You see what I'm getting at? While it's really pretty, the album is simple. That's not to say the songwriting isn't complex, or at least moderately so. No, the songwriting is really nice, and certainly the variation is much, much better than Real Estate's Atlas. What I mean is that everything that's been done here has been done before. It's not mind-blowingly beautiful, and it's certainly not the most original piece I've ever heard. There aren't really any wow moments, so to speak of. The whole album is more or less one fluid piece that doesn't very much in tone or feeling. That said, if smooth indie rock or dream pop is your cup of tea, this album is probably just your style, and it's certainly a hell of a lot better than Atlas by Real Estate, which is the album I reviewed last week for anyone wondering why I've been harping on it the whole review. Also, with its plentiful use of what sounds like sleigh bells and similar metallic percussion, Peripheral Vision makes for a decent indie rock Christmas album. Of course, that's not the intended purpose, but I'll be using it for that much. Or maybe not, maybe I'm crazy and that's just tambourine, whatever, it feels slightly like Christmas to me and I'm sticking with it! For my final rating on a scale of negative 2 to 7, I give this album a 3. It's slightly above average, in a good way. Great for easy listening, and pleasant to listen to. American football fans should really enjoy this piece, as it bears a notable resemblance to their album of the same name. American football, that is. And also American football the band, not the national pastime. I understand there could possibly be some confusion in that regard. Anyways, the name of the album is once again Peripheral Vision by Turnover. As for me, I've been Nick, though I'm also known as Lenz, Klesk, Meerkat, or just that dude who can't dress himself properly in public. I'm less fond of that last one. As always, you can send in review requests by emailing publicaffairs at wknc.org and including review requests in the subject line. That's all for today. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time. be bringing you the community calendar. If you don't have any plans later today, there is a Kwanzaa celebration from 6 to 8 p.m. in Weatherspoon 126. The celebration will also include a dramatic performance of The Meeting. It's a what-if dramatization of if Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. had met before they were assassinated. It's also First Friday in downtown Raleigh this weekend. 
The Contemporary Art Museum will be hosting Big Bent Ears, a multimedia installation about listening from Rockfish Stew, which will be opening, which will open an Indie Week gallery and media lab. The expi- exhibition includes photography and video footage from the Big Ears Music Festival in Knoxville, and a collection of items from New Yorker and writer Joseph Mitchell. The event is open to the public. And if you stop by the Fish Market NC State Student Gallery, you'll see the Senior Art and Design Show, a student-run event spotlighting this year's 29 creatives who specialize in a diverse range of design fields from illustration, fashion, motion animation, fiber arts, photography, and installation. Go see the College of Design graduating art and design seniors. This Saturday, NC State Sube Ritmo is having a dance social, Sube La Salsa, December 6th from 7 until 10 p.m. The dance social will be held in Weatherspoon on NC State's campus. Come out and dance to your favorite salsa, bachata, and merengue. It'll be open with a quick lesson at 7, and music will start by 7.30. And I'm definitely, definitely going to be there. Ian, do you salsa dance? Only when I'm listening to Hotline Bling. He kind of does a bit of bachata, I guess. The one, two, three. Then he has a little bit of hand flare. Ian's doing that hand flare right now. So I just want to I wanna thank you, Ian, for, for that hand flare. Well, I would like to thank Jake Winters, Saif Hassan, and Nick Weaver. As always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think... Let us know and tweet us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on more local news. And be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast. Indie Rock with Cat Planet and Curly Temple is up next at 6, and you can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Myrtha Donisdorg. And I'm Ian Grice.